You are listening to the Forcecom Frontline, bringing you to our soldiers on the front lines of readiness. Hey everyone, welcome to the Forcecom Frontline. I'm Ashley and I'm your host. We took our show on the road and are recording this episode from the AUSA Warfighter Summit and Expo in Fayetteville, North Carolina. However, for our audience, you're hearing this a few weeks later. May seem a little odd, but we wanted to take advantage of the opportunities Warfighter provided in bringing leaders from across the Army and gather as much information and content as we could. And today's topic is important. It is important to me, and I'm sure is important to a lot of our soldiers and their families, because we are talking about quality of life initiatives, what the Army is doing to support soldiers and their families. And I am lucky enough to have with me Lieutenant General Kevin Vereen, the Deputy Chief of Staff of the G9. He is the Principal Advisor to Army Senior Leaders on Installation Policy Plans and Resources, which includes quality of life programs for all components. Also with me is Ms. D. Geis, the Director of Prevention, Resilience, and Readiness for G9. You have a lot here. <laughs> I'm going to go slow so I get it all. Her portfolio includes programs under the Army Community Services and morale, welfare, and recreation umbrellas, child and youth services, and also serves as the director of quality of of the quality of life life task force. Recently, she added the prevention of harmful behaviors like suicide prevention, sharp, and substance abuse prevention to her portfolio. That's a lot, <laughs> but thank you both for taking your time while you're here to talk with me. I appreciate it. It's great to be here. Glad to be here. So, force comes the largest command in the army more than 750,000 soldiers. So what you guys are doing affects all of our soldiers and their families. So I'm really excited to talk about this with you. Um, sir, you're in charge of the Army's organization tasked with improving soldiers' quality of life. But can you break down what that really means? What is G9? Oh, that's a great question. Uh, and so I'll, I'll just, um, first of all, I, I say that um, even though I have the single point of responsibility um, for for all of this, it's um, it's really a it's a collective effort uh, as we look at some of the challenges I think our Army is experiencing. And I say that because um, there's a lot of leaders um, that are involved in ensuring that, one, that we do have quality infrastructure and quality of life um, for our, our families and our soldiers. And so I, I do want to say that it's not upon me. As you can see, D has a really robust portfolio as well. So, But um, there are a lot of folks who are helping this. And, and so if I could frame it for you, I think um, the most important aspect of what we do is is really it's listening to the from the field. We we're, we're absolutely invested in ensuring that leaders we pay attention to what leaders uh, what they need. And uh, here in my office as the headquarters D, uh, headquarters G nine, I'm responsible for taking those those needs uh, and you know we, we prioritize uh, our requirements. And then of course uh, with prioritization comes you know how do we resource it with funding. And so uh, I spent a lot of time ensuring that, you know, the requirements are nested with the resources, because if we don't have that moving, then, of course, we never have significant change on the ground at our post camps and stations. So in a nutshell, that's kind of what I do. But I work hand in hand with multiple amount of agencies that kind of help us as we ensure that we provide the best quality of life for our soldiers and families. Something you just said prompted another question. So I'm going to go off script yeah. for a minute. So you have been visiting installations around around the army, what are you hearing from soldiers? And what's the point of those? Yeah, visits? so uh, I think, you know, it's very important that we get out and see our post camps and stations. I, I pride, I, I think I pride our organization on ensuring that we're not necessarily um, 
stovepipe in the center of our the Pentagon, which is where we work. Um, but uh, true reality is where, when you get on the ground and kind of see certain things and, and hear the you know the soldiers and families. And so, um, I think you know what we do know is that um, there is absolutely um, a desire to want to have quality infrastructure. You know where our soldiers work, you know where they live and where they play. Uh, because we do have the morale, welfare, and recreation requirements as well. Those are all important. And it is not only a retention you know, um, tool, but it's also a recruiting tool. And so when you think about some of the, the larger portions of um, the desires of our you know, population of soldiers and families, it really centers around having quality infrastructure. Um, I can't say enough about spouse employment, and LD is going to talk about that. But, um, you know, we know that, you know, soldiers enlist to join the Army, um, but they also acquire families along the way. And so in, in order for us to be able to keep them um, and have them, you know, knowing that we're going to look after their needs, uh, spouse employment is absolutely critical to that. Now, when I came in the Army, um, a lot of our spouses did not necessarily work. I mean, but, you know, times have changed uh, and we know that our spouses have careers. Uh, yeah. And so it's important that we do everything we can to ensure that we have employment that's available um, that meets the level of that and expectation that our spouses want. Uh, and in some cases that our jobs um, that we select that we try to find for our spouses are transferable as well because we, we know that our soldiers and families PCS as well. Yeah. So that's important. <laughs> I, I feel all of that, right. <laughs> especially with the spouse employment. So Ms. Geis, uh, several years ago, our Army leaders stood up the Quality of Life Task Force. What was the intent and in, in can you give us an update on what has happened with the Quality of Life Task Force? Yes, of course. So um, when General McConville came in as the Chief of Staff of the Army, he's, um, his transition team went out to look at what are the struggles that are happening in the Army, and there was no surprise um, what, what those struggles were. Housing, health care, child care, spouse employment, <laughs> um, and PCS moves. Uh, so there was a task force stood up. Uh, it is still alive and well today, and we've actually added lines of effort okay. um, based on um, uh, specified guidance from the Secretary of the Army. Uh, and we have a very large village. We have all of those lines of effort. We have participants from the Headquarters Department of the Army, including our Secretariat, uh, down into the garrisons. Uh, we have very specific task lists that we um, follow uh, to fix at the at the guidance of the secretary and the chief, and then of course our senior leaders like General Vereen in the Pentagon. Um, I think it is too numerous to mention, but I will tell you <laughs> quality of life, um, uh, army.mil slash quality of life, and you can see some of those significant uh, changes okay. that we've made. Um, we got, the, we got the easy stuff out of the way first, um, and now we're working on the hard things. And the hard things look like big army policy, big money, OSD policy or, or legislation, but there is a lot of accomplishment in that space and certainly more to come. Okay. And so we've, we've talked about it, spouse employment and the army is expanding the non-competitive hiring authority for spouses. And as a spouse, of course, this piques my interest. I, I say every three years, I feel like I'm just giving up a, a perfectly good job to move with my soldier. Um, and I've tried to keep up, but you know, there are changes always happening. So can you just talk about what has been done to help spouses? Yes. So uh, to pull the thread a little on General Vereen's comment about portability, one of the first things we put in place was a civilian employment assignment tool. Um, it was started uh, specifically for child and youth 
uh, employees that spouses could move or any non-appropriated fund employee could move from base to base and they would be guaranteed a job uh, when they moved. Uh, that has been expanded now to all non-appropriated fund employees and that looks like our morale, welfare, recreation activities, our fitness centers and, um, uh, and, and the like. Uh, and uh, we've been very successful with the assignment tool. Um, the second thing we did was um, plus stop authorizations in installation management command for employment readiness personnel. Uh, and, and I think we were up 32 or 35. Um, but in addition to that, they are offering those employment readiness uh, personnel a certification in career counseling. So they are okay. not just the folks that are going to point you in the right direction and give you a little help with your resume. But these are these are folks that really are going to sit down with our spouses and say, what are your career aspirations? Then let me help you shape your resume in a way awesome. and then point you in the right direction. Um, I, I, I always mention um, my career advancement accounts. This is a, a, a Army uh, Office of Secretary of Defense initiative that offers scholarships. You can find out more about that on the Military One Source page. Um, up to four thousand dollars for certification or licenses or towards a degree. Um, that that's extremely important. I. Every time I talk about it, there are so many people that don't know, and it's there for, for their taking. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I, I will mention Military Spouse Employment Partnership. Uh, and these are corporations that partner with um, all of the services so that that um, when a, a spouse gets a job, she can move or he can move with that job during the PCS. That sounds amazing. Um, and I think, you know, navigating the USA Jobs platform as a whole can be a challenge. Right. And so the fact that there are people out there that, that can help you, you do that um, and help you build your resume so that you, you can potentially get that those positions is awesome. Um, but there's also more happening with professional licenses and certif certifications, correct? That is correct. So the, we work with our partners in the Office of Secretary of Defense. The defense state liaisons work with the states on that licensure reciprocity. And there are compacts in place, um, but there's a lot of work to be done. We, do, we did get the executive order from the president um, to implement licensure reciprocity for military spouses, uh, there's still a lot of work to do for implementation. Okay. It, it, it creates um, um, a lot of work for each individual state. So we're sure. not quite there yet, but we're, we're still working on what that looks like. Okay. Um, and so another huge thing with, with families is housing, sir. Right. Um, both family housing and barracks even. Um, and we've we've heard the stories of mold right here at Fort Liberty, um, soldiers being locate, relocated. Um, but there are a lot of efforts underway to to make sure that our soldiers, both in the barracks and in family housing, have adequate quarters. Right. Um, can you talk about some of these initiatives? Yeah, I, I can. So um, I'll first start with, with barracks. Uh, so we, we have a large inventory of barracks across the Army. And uh, and, and I'll, if I frame it, I'll, I'll just tell you, most of our infrastructure is, norm, is normally built to last about 50 years. And it really is. And so um, we are well beyond those, you know, those dates when you look at a lot of our infrastructure. And so what we have done in barracks, and I, I can't say enough about our Army senior leadership, uh, our secretary and our chief, uh, with making uh, barracks a priority. 
And, and so we are going to, going to invest a little over about one and a half billion dollars um, a year for the next year, next 10 years wow. in barracks. And, and so we understand that it is, um, we are in a, uh, an age where we've kind of uh, really have foregone a lot of our, you know, barracks and infrastructure. We've done some minor um, modifications and, and some modernization to our barracks, but we ne necessarily have not done major mill kind efforts. And so we're moving in that, in that vein, in that venue, in that direction. And so we're excited about where that's going now, of course. Um, it's been well aware, you know, some of the challenges we've had in our barracks with yeah. uh, with mold. Uh, we are truly seeing the implications of, you know, climate and varying climates across the sure. United States. And that's been, you know, a challenge for us. But I, I can't, I can applaud our young soldiers, believe it or not. We have young soldiers every single day thinking of um, new ways to try to get after um, this mold <laughs> challenge that we have. But we also have uh, mode uh, remediation uh, that we're actually going through and we're expecting all of our barracks to ensure that um, that there's no uh, signs of mold and if there are then we're going to remediate it you know sure. immediately so we're working hand in hand with our with uh, the MCOM uh, command um, and we we feel that we are in a really good uh, position when it looks at when we look at barracks but we are going to make major investments over the next 10 years of barracks now I transition to army family housing or family housing so we have um, a couple types of, of housing. We have Army-owned housing. Uh, we have a little over 12,000 uh, Army homes that we actually you know, have to resource and, and keep up. Most of that is overseas in Europe and other places. Uh, and so we have that, that inventory of housing, which, which causes unique challenges. I mean, a lot of them are historic. Yeah. And so we have to you know, make sure that we have the resources to apply to them. And, and in some cases, when you, when you know when you have historic housing, um, there are certain things that you can't acquire on the local market. I mean, you got to be very careful what replacement items you bring in. Sure. We got to make sure we kind of keeps this integrity. But we uh, we are working through funding um, our, our our army owned housing because it is absolutely important for our families overseas. And then we have this inventory of of um, of, of privatized housing, which, where we have you know privatized organizations and companies that are um, that are investing in property. They're they're leasing land to build new properties uh, across uh, all of our military installations. And we have a little over uh, 80,000 of those uh, properties across uh, our Army uh, installations. And so uh, we are investing a little over $3, million, uh, $3 billion, I'm sorry, $3 wow. billion dollars in, in, uh, in our housing. Uh, to, and that shows the priorities that we've placed on ensuring that our, you know, that our housing uh, does get uh, in a good state of condition, keep it up. Uh, and we're able also to invest and build new infrastructure as well as we move along the way. Um, I can't say enough about our ability to be able to leverage the, the Bill of Rights for uh, those who are, are who are living in uh, Army housing, uh, and it you know and it allows our residents, those who sign for housing, uh, to have all the the things afforded to them as you would if you're if you're buying a house on the open market or you've been in one of the communities, you have a Bill of Rights, and so. Um, our, our, our partners are well aware of it. And so when our you know, families have issues, uh, then the expectation is that they're, you know, they'll be immediately fixed and resolved you know, using the partner as a, as a go-between. But also we understand that in anything that we do in the Army, um, leadership you know, absolutely is integral. And so yeah. we're, we're investing uh, time in ensuring that our leaders understand that you know, because we have housing and it's privatized in some shape, form or fashion, 
you know, leaders when they have true problems that impact families and soldiers, uh, then they need to invest the time to help fix it and resolve it at the lowest level possible. Yeah. And if not, then uh, then push it up to the higher level so we can help resolve them. Yeah. So. Well, and you mentioned overseas housing. There's more than just the army in, in that case. You know, you have the the local nationals there and their rules and the country's rules and everything to also consider when, you know, you talk anything overseas, really. Right, right. <laughs> so yeah. adding another aspect it, to it. it. It does. It adds another, another aspect to it. Uh, and we want to do right by whatever, you know, country we're living in and sure. where our soldiers and families reside. Uh, and so we have to ensure that, you know, those agreements that we make on the outside, you know, outside of our military installations, you know, support, you know, the, the rules and requirements that that country, uh, you know, holds firm to. And of course, that we agree to as, a, as an army. But, but I think we're excited about where we're going with uh, with our infrastructure. Again, we know that we've got a lot, lot of work to do uh, and uh, and it's going to it's going to take a little bit of time. But we are we are prioritizing uh, and using you know, modeling that helps us, you know, when we look at our infrastructure. And I think, you know, as we continue to prioritize and, and, and really go back and look at, you know, how we're doing across our military installations, I think we'll see true change, you know, happen. Yeah. Um, but I also caution folks that, you know, it does take a while right. when you look at our budgeting cycles and, and how we uh, palm for money and, yeah. and things of that nature. I mean, it, it literally is a five-year plan. Uh, and so we are, we're trying to move it faster uh, but we also know that uh, in some cases, um, we're just going to have to be patient. Yeah, you we know? just can't build houses overnight, right? right? absolutely. <laughs> we can build it, uh, but it may not might, be the, might the not quality be the that right we quality. expect. And so we're balancing quality uh, with, with speed and, and efficiency right. as well. So. All right. And so, Miss Geis, again, as a spouse, and I know you were an Army spouse as well, um, and I have a full-time job, and I always hope that when I PCS, I'll have a full-time job again. Like I said, it's hard to give up that job every few years. Um, but childcare is a huge factor when spouses are looking to go to work, moving to a new location, maybe not knowing anybody there. Um, often there are wait lists. I, we were on one for three months. Thankfully, we've always been very lucky with childcare and have loved our our CDCs that we've been in. Um, but is there anything being done to help with the childcare wait list and um, getting childcare for spouses? Absolutely, uh, a couple of major things. So coming out of COVID right now, staffing is an issue. Yeah. So, so those wait lists are driven by the staffing we have in place and the ability to maintain the ratios that are directed to us, right? So yeah. that's quality That's quality care and safety for our children. So that's important. So what um, the services and the Army is doing now is implementing incentives for recruitment and retention. Um, in some locations where we have larger problems, they're also offering commissary access to um, childcare employees. So, so these things are, are helping us retain. We have a recruitment problem, we have a bigger retention problem, and we really need to focus on that. So we're incentivizing um, retention right now. Um, uh, the the uh, other work that we're doing um, is expanding the off-post care. Um, so a couple things have happened. It used to be third. 1300 it's 1500 now in our next cycle i think we'll see that increase again so that buys down the cost of off post care um, and we have to be uh, very careful that our off post care is the same quality as our on post care so there's work being done to help um, our our partners outside the gate really bring up their standards um, again back to the quality and the yeah. safety for our children um, so there's there's a lot happening uh, in that space as well but we're really trying to 
get our staff in and retain our staff. Um, there, there will uh, never be enough childcare. I don't think ever it happened. You know, when I and I, I'm an old army wife, so there wasn't enough then. There's not yeah. enough now. But there have been so many improvements um, since my children were were small. They're in their late 20s and early 30s now, so um, I don't have that issue. But yeah. I am so proud of how far our childcare has come in the army. Um, they've done a magnificent job, and they and I will tell you the folks that I work with um, in the Pentagon and Installation Management Command, they are the most passionate um, group you will ever find. So they're working hard every day to try and get those wait lists lower and make sure all our children are accommodated. Well, I'll tell you, uh, we've had amazing care. At, we've been to Fort Drum, we've been overseas and now here, and we've been to three different facilities here. We're utilizing off-post care for my son who's school age, but using the, the programs to help with the cost off-post. Uh, I mean, we have our, we've had issues with our daughter and they have just gone above and beyond. I'm telling you, I cannot say enough about the care that we are getting on Fort Liberty right now and how, how happy we have been um, with amazing. everywhere. And that's not an easy job. It's, oh my right? gosh. Yeah. Every time I walk in there and there are children screaming. I'm like, how do you do this all day? <laughs> it's just their passion. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It is. And I think it's important to, to talk about that because we talk about retention. We talk about incentivizing people going into these positions, but it's not just anybody that is going into them. These are people that do truly care about the care that they are giving to these children. Um, and so, again, this is apparently I'm very passionate about this and maybe it's just because, like I said, we have used it since my mon my son was three months old and now he is going into second grade. And um, we've just we've been very happy with what we've been able to to get as far as care. So. I, if I could add one thing that Dee I kind of talked about, too, is this um, portability of employment as well. We are. Yeah, we, we want to ensure that, you know, there are employees in child care who have a passion because they, they're very passionate, um, can have the opportunity to transfer and, and be able to assume employment uh, because a lot of them are spouses as well. Yeah. And uh, we want to make sure that um, their ability to be able to transfer and move right into, you know, a child development center um, is, a, it's, is ready for them, you know, as they go through the processes of PCS. And the second thing is um, ensuring that we create um, this sort of enterprise of child care um, where we have our child care providers who have opportunities through certifications and, yeah. and educational opportunities that will enhance their ability to be able to assume other responsibilities of, you know, higher inside of child care uh, coming from, you know, maybe attending a room uh, of, you know, of children uh, to moving up to at some point in time, you know, maybe being a director of one of our CDCs. Yeah. And, and we, we want to make it something that, 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 that the employees and our, to include our spouses who are working very hard have the opportunity to increase, um, you know, inside of childcare. And that's important for us as well. This is the last thing I'll say about this because I won't believe it anymore. But um, my son, my daughter is in strong beginnings on Fort Liberty right now. My son was in the same strong beginnings and my daughter ended up having some of the same teachers. So we went in there knowing the staff um, and one of his teachers is now in an administrative position. One of my daughter's teachers took the opportunity to, she, they were PCSing, so she was transferring to another installation, which was amazing because she was amazing. So I feel like I've seen all of these things that you're talking about actually happening, which is awesome. Right. So 
but yes, uh, childcare is very important. Um, but sir, quality of life is not just important for recruitment and retention. It also plays an important role in readiness and reducing our soldiers' stress and our families. Um, when we talk about stress, it can lead to unhealthy and harmful behaviors. Can you talk a little bit about the role of quality of life prevention and how the Army is transferring prevention? Yeah, yes, I can, and uh, and I'll, I'll let Dee chime in as well because <laughs> I know this is absolutely her portfolio. Okay, she's kind of had, but I'll, I'll start first. Um, I, there is a direct correlation between, um, I think, the readiness of our force and, and the prevention requirements, you know, I think we do uh, in the Army. You know, the Chief of Staff and Secretary have, um, they've always kind of said this, we are really good at reacting when we have problems occur, when soldiers experience problems. Um, but we are really investing time to ensure that we are getting on the front end of, you know, of um, when our soldiers have significant challenges. And, and, and I think the important piece in prevention is when um, we kind of acquired, you know, the uh, prevention portfolio, which includes sexual assault, you know, suicide prevention, uh, and some of the other, um, you know, um, aspects of prevention. Uh, it was a direct fit for our organization because we have a lot of the things now, yeah. when you think about trying to create healthy communities, uh, create communities of health, um, allowing our, you know, our, families and our soldiers to thrive in the environments that they work, it was a direct you know, fit for us. And so we think as we um, bring this portfolio inside of our G9, then we really can create these umbrellas of health, healthy and safe communities um, <clears throat> that give all the opportunities for families and soldiers to have the resources that really will prevent, you know, things from happening. Prime example, <clears throat> we know that MWR is a big thing. Yeah. We want to make sure that, you know, access to MWR programs allows our soldiers to be able to, you know, to have uh, an outlet, you know, and to to help, you know, deal with and cope with certain things that they're experiencing. But we also can never underestimate the the uh, impacts of, of leadership. We also want to make sure yeah. that leaders are investing time in ensuring that, you know, the soldiers and the families are cared for. And that's important. So. We're excited about where we're going. We got a lot of work to do, as Dee said, <laughs> but it has been uh, amazing to see um, the the level of transition uh, with the passionate uh, group of men and women that we have working in this organization <clears throat> that are committed to ensuring we do the best for our soldiers and families. Dee. Oh, sir, thank you. I, I think um, we've talked a lot about cultural reform in the way that we look at prevention. Um, and the way that we're approaching now is through the lens of social determinants of health. Social determinants of health are the built environment, access to health care, financial or economic security, right, employment, um, and social connectedness. And it's all the things that we just talked about in the quality yeah. of life task force, right? So we are so focused and a lot of our legislation is also focused in that intervention. We have to get upstream, the upstream prevention, the primary prevention, and it's everything that General Marie just talked about. It's everything that's in our quality of life task force yeah. right now. It is providing healthy community and healthy outlets um, before we get to that point where we have to intervene in a harmful behavior. So that's the approach that we're taking right now. One of the things, one of my other things that I do um, is I work with our G1 on suicide prevention. And so this is very interesting to me and I look forward to seeing what happens and where we go with this. Um, so I wanted to give you both an opportunity to just talk, touch about, touch on something that maybe we haven't touched on. Um, Ma'am, I'll let you go first. Is there anything you just want to add? 
Sure. Um, I will add that, um, first of all, the website that I talked about before, look at the accomplishments out there. Um, where you think we're falling short on those accomplishments, their Army Family Action Plan um, is your avenue to move issues for soldiers and families into the Pentagon. So please use the, the AFAP process. Okay. Um, use your Army Community Service Center. Seek out your resiliency center. Seek out all of the activities that are available um, to you as soldiers and families yeah. um, on, on this amazing post that you have here. There's a lot to offer. Yeah. I think that's so important. I think we have all of these things, but maybe there's like the stigma about using some of them on posts. I don't know, I don't know what that is, but there's there's so many resources, financial, uh, military family, life counselors, all of these things. And I just I hope people hear this, use them. They are there for you. Personal financial counselors are amazing. Yeah. You don't have to have a, a, a resource problem, right, in right. your household. Yeah. To somebody sitting there waiting to make you and set you up for success in your future. Yeah. Use them. They're 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 there. That's not. There's nothing negative about that. Right. I use. We use a financial advisor. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's only going to help your future. It's only going to help your future. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And so, sir, I'll go to you now. Yeah. So, uh, so first of all, I um, I think that. You know, we all know that we're in this um, era of um, technology and social media and um, and the availability of information mm -hmm. you know, that's all out you know in the social media space or, or the, the technology space um, we are we know that um, we we're going to do everything we can to have resources accessible for our soldiers and families and that's to me that's the uh, that's ensuring that they know where to go um, I am a firm believer, and I think a lot, a lot of folks will agree with me. You don't necessarily um, need um, to research things and um, and to find about find out about things until you really need it. And so we know that that's how you know our generation deals with certain things. Yeah. That, you know, we know that information is available, but it's not necessarily uh, needed until the time that they need it. And so, but like Dee said, we we just want to make sure that there's. There, then our families and soldiers know the resources that are available to them. I, I do want to make a plug for the Garrison Command app. I, I we are, uh, that's MCOM um, owned. Uh, they're they're absolutely responsible for, uh, kind of uh, keeping it running. Uh, but there is a wealth of information on the Garrison Command app, and it helps them when families are going through transitions, from installation to installation. But it also helps them, you know, to find certain resources um, that are available on on the installations. And uh, we're in the middle of, of retooling it. Uh, and so we look forward to uh, the revamped version coming out here soon. But uh, but MCOM has been really um, working very hard to ensure that um, it is user friendly and it's going to give every sort of uh, resource uh, that to make our soldiers and families aware of resources that are available. For them. And last, and um, I do want to say thank you for allowing us to come today. Uh, I have a, you know, I, I'm an army, you know, brat. I, Same. you know, I was born here at Fort Liberty. That's uh, awesome. You know, decades ago. I'm not gonna tell you how long ago, but, <laughs> uh, but I, so I have a passion for Fort Liberty, and uh, and so we're excited. We're excited for the opportunity to come and talk, uh, but we also know that there's multiple amounts of other installations uh, that need the same love and attention, and and that's what we're gonna do. I think yeah. for, uh, for the army, we want to ensure that we have quality installations across the Army 
because it's important for for our, for the readiness of our force, and uh, and that's important to us. Absolutely. Well, I think both of you. I think I could talk to you a lot longer. I think there are topics that we ha we have not touched on. Um, I think we could talk for probably an hour. But I know you both are busy while you're here. You're doing a fireside chat later this morning. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time to stop in and, and chat with me. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this episode. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you can also find full video episodes of our podcasts on YouTube. You can just search for the Force Comm Frontline, and we'll see you next time on the Frontline. Line.